Hello, everyone. Start with a quick prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've given us, for all things, and for allowing us to gather together, even in the virtual world, that we may share in fellowship with each other and with you in our midst. Open up our hearts and our minds, O oh Lord, and our voices to understand your word. And hear us when we say through the intercessions of our Holy Mother, St. Mary, St. Basil the Great and all the holy saints, angels, martyrs, and prophets, and through their prayers here, so I'm going to say, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one through Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is now, I think, our third spiritual talk uh, since the quarantine has begun. So it's nice to see you all on, on here. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other face-to-face -face in the real world pretty soon, God willing. Um, in the meantime, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. So, when we, you know, it's uh, no coincidence that we're talking about monasticism in this world uh, that we're living in now is because we are kind of living like uh, monks in our own little monasteries in our homes, right? We're turning our homes into a type of monastery. I know some of you are still working out there uh, as first respondents or, and essential workers, but most of us are staying at home um, and we're trying to turn our home into uh, a, a, a little church, a little monastery, as well as our office and as well as our uh, uh, our family get together as well. So. Uh, Hopefully we're, we're hanging in there and we're using the time for our benefit. So hopefully this talk as well will spur a discussion as to how we can make our home kind of as a spiritual monastery uh, for the benefit of all who are in the home. So I'd like to start today with a little bit of a talk to give you a flavor of monasticism, uh, especially those who are maybe new to the topic. If I can maybe get a volunteer to read one of or a couple of these stories, um, maybe uh, let's see. Uh, anyone want to volunteer? Okay, Sharif, would you mind reading this one? Abby, unfortunately, I won't be able to. Uh, if you can uh, pick someone else to volunteer, I apologize. No, sure. Uh, let's see, Nancy, can you read? One of the old men of the Theobad used to tell the following, following story. I was the son of pagan priests. When I was small, I would sit and watch my father, who often went to sacrifice to the idol. Once going in behind him in secret, I saw Satan and all, all his army standing be, beside him. And behold, one of the chief devils came to bow before him. Satan said, where have you come from? He said, I was in a certain place and made much blood flow, and I have come to tell you about it. Satan asked, how long did you, how long did it take you to do this? He replied, 30 days. Then Satan commanded him to be flogged, saying, "It in so long a time have you done only that. Do you want me to continue? Uh, sure, or we can have maybe Richard, can you uh, pick up where she left, right here? And behold, another demon came to bow before him. Satan asked him, And you, where have you come from? The demon replied, I was on the sea, and I made the waves rise, and small craft foundered, and I have killed many people. 
and I have come to inform you of it, he said to him. How long did it take you to do this? And the demon said, 20 days. Satan commanded that he should also be flogged, saying, that is because in such a long time you have only done this. Okay, keep going, Richard, sorry. Now a third, a third demon came to bow before him. He asked, and where, have you, and where have you come from? The demon replied, there was a marriage in a certain village, and I stirred up a riot, and I have made much blood flow, killing, killing the bride and bridegroom, and I have come to inform you. He asked him, how long did it take you to do this? And he replied, 10 days. Satan commanded that he also should be flogged because he had, it had taken him so long. Just go after, ahead and finish it. After this, another demon came to bow before him. He asked, and where have you come from? He said, I was in the desert 40 years fighting against a monk. And this night I made him fall into fornication. When he heard this, Satan arose, embraced him, and put the crown he was wearing on his head and made him sit in his throne, saying, You have been able to do a very great deed. The old man said, Seeing this, I said to myself, Truly, it is a great contest, this contest of the monks. And with God assisting me for my salvation, I went away and became a monk. Thank you. So you see the flavor of, like, you know, the, the type of warfare the, and the value of this warfare, even in the face of uh, Satan and his uh, demons, the, the type of uh, inward uh, spiritual race that they fight, and how threatening it is to the enemy, and how beneficial it is for those who uh, take on that responsibility. Um, can I have a, another volunteer to read this next story, which could be very familiar to many of us? Actually, they made a song out of this, like a, a hymn out of this little story. So who wants to read? Abuna, it's Dan. I'll read. Okay, thank you, Dan. Another time he, that is St. Macarius, was sent some fresh grapes. He desired to eat them, but showing self-control, he sent them to a certain brother who was ill and who was himself fond of grapes. When the brother received them, he was delighted, but wished to conceal his self-mastery. He sent them to another brother, pretending that he had no appetite for any food. Uh, the icon is blocking here. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go ahead and read. I can see it clearly. When the brother received them, he was delighted, but wishing to conceal his self-mastery, he sent them to another brother, pretending that he had no appetite for any food. When the next brother received the grapes, he did the same in turn, although he too had a great desire to eat them. When at length the, gra the grapes had been passed around a large number of the brethren without any of them deciding to eat them, the last one to receive them sent them again to St. Macarius, thinking that he was giving him a rich gift. Macarius recognized them, and after inquiring closely into what had happened, marveled, giving thanks to the Lord for such self-control among the brethren. And in the end, not even he partook of the grapes. So you see, in these two stories, I kind of wanted to highlight um, a couple things. That you know, that one is uh, it's kind of like the two sides to of the coin in in the race of, of monasticism. Number one is our 
uh, the, the monks like dealing with on the spiritual realm, dealing with God and dealing with all the spiritual warfares they fought. But on the other hand is dealing with each other. And one, you know, one had the love for God as the goal. The other one had, of course, the love for each other as the goal as, as well. So that these two stories kind of encapsulate the, the mission of a monk uh, in their monasteries. So, you know, you know, they, we're kind of forced to live in a quarantine right now. So we're living in a quarantine, not by choice, but uh, we're forced to live in this quarantine by, by this disease that has now hit the whole world in a, in a marvelous way, right? In a way that uh, hasn't happened in, uh, as far as we can remember, a few generations. So at least to this degree and at this uh, universal level. But these others, they also put themselves voluntarily in a type of quarantine or isolation or seclusion, but not um, not being forced to, but uh, for the benefit of their spiritual life. So when we look in the Bible, for example, right, we see many of the saints who lived in this kind of uh, secluded and isolated life voluntarily because they saw the benefit of it. We read in the Old Testament, Elijah, who lived alone for a good part of his life. We see Moses, who alone went up to the mountain for 40 days fasting and praying by himself before he received the Ten Commandments. And also before that, lived with a small family in the wilderness, in the desert, right? Um, uh, living that quiet and peaceful life uh, on his own. Uh, we see Christ himself during the 40 days of isolation in the wilderness with the wild beasts and having uh, victory over Satan and the temptation of Christ, right, uh, before starting his ministry. In fact, you could say that he lived a quiet life, secluded life for most of his 30 years, right? Only on occasion do we read either through the Bible or through church tradition that during his youth or during those 30 years, something marvelous or amazing happened. And um, like with the time where he spoke to the scholars or in our tradition when he was a toddler, um, you know, you know, tore down one of the temples in Egypt. Um, but, you know, very rarely did that happen, right? So he, even after during, uh, he's starting his 33-year missionary, uh, we often read that Christ left to be alone, right? He went to be alone in, in the mountain. He rose up on the mountain to pray alone. He valued to, as an example for us, uh, he wanted to hold that, um, that lifestyle of being alone and finding some alone time uh, away from the society, away from the crowds, or away from the chaos, uh, and to just kind of gather your thoughts and go quietly into a quiet place uh, as a beneficial thing for us. And he did that, of course, not that he needed it, but as an example for us. We see John the Baptist as well, right, living in the desert, eating uh, locusts and honey and living and, and, and um, wearing simple things um, like camel's hair, right? And afterwards, uh, we also hear about the monastic uh, rules that have popped up. Even before the monastic fathers, which we're going to talk about today, you had St. Demiana before that as well, living that quiet life and, and kind of like in a convent before even um, monasticism started with St. Anthony. And so we see those kind of examples, again, rippling through the generations and throughout the centuries as a valuable thing uh, for the soul and a valuable thing for our spirituality. Um, all of these, of course, were voluntary. They're not like us today that we're being forced to do this, uh, but it's, a, you know, it's voluntary as a means for them to turn their whole life, their mind, their body, their spirits towards God and to focus their attention towards God. It's a courageous and kind of a rebellious 
uh, type of uh, attitude to have is to leave everything and go and only dwell in uh, the desert to uh, focus all of their life upon God. And it's a, it takes a lot of courage as well, especially to do it voluntarily. So today, though, we're forced to do this kind of seclusion with us uh, being alone or maybe us with our families uh, in quarantine. Of course, this unfortunate uh, incident uh, does present opportunities so we can look at the positives. And it's really great talking to many of you on the phone about some of the positive things that have come out of this, uh, including learning how to use Zoom. Maybe not so well yet, but we're getting there. Um, but also, uh, there's a lot of other benefits as well that we've uh, encountered during this time. And you can maybe talk about some of these, right? Like, uh, time has slowed down um, for a lot of us, right? It's like, you know, before the weeks would fly by. Now, times the time is slowing down. We're learning how to appreciate the, the moments a little bit more. Uh, we're learning to recognize uh, our own shortcomings a little bit more. Maybe our shortcomings uh, uh, about our children, right? Because uh, now that we're seeing them a lot more. <laughs> um, our consolation, too, we receive a little bit more peace. We're a little bit more relaxed. Uh, we do more prayers. Uh, we've started our, for example, our 7 o'clock uh, everyday prayer of, of Vespers. And many of you are praying even more throughout the day. We have less distractions. Um, like we spoke about last week, we, we are faced with ourselves in this alone time. And we're faced uh, with knowing ourselves. You know, all the previous rules and routines involved worldly disciplines, right? We were waking up, we'd take a shower, we'd go to work, and then we'd come back and eat dinner, and, and, all, and most of the day is gone. Now we have like a reset button to kind of give a small window of opportunity to uh, do a new rule, a new type of... Uh, discipline and new uh, focus uh, in our life. So it is uh, interesting to see all the positive things that are coming out of it. I know more will be spoken about this later in, our, uh, in, in the future once we all go back to our normal lives. A few definitions. Monasticism is a type of ordered way of life which leads to the love of God. Uh, there are hermits, anchorites, there are abbas of a monastery. Um, and also uh, the hermits and anchorites are those who kind of retire and, and live a very secluded life, not within a monastery, but maybe a stone's throw from a monastery. Uh, Cenobite is one who lives in a monastic community practicing their faith. And an abba, of course, is the head of a monastery. So we're going to see these words. Um, so we're going to get into a little bit of the history, just a, a few slides here on the history of monasticism. Some of you may find this interesting. Um, how did monasticism start and where did it start? Uh, we know that um, Christianity generally was an illegal religion, right? And and the, the, the Christians were suffering and they were... Um, going through fierce persecutions, uh, different waves of persecutions in the first maybe three to 400 years of Christianity. Um, but in comes Emperor Constantine, which we celebrated just a couple days ago. Uh, emperor Constantine uh, comes in, he's like the first uh, emperor of the you know, Roman Empire to actually um, accept Christianity as a valid religion. And he legalized Christianity. And he issued uh, a letter called the Edict of Milan, where he basically says, our religion shall be respected, but especially Christianity, because Christianity was really persecuted in the centuries before. So this was a new era for the church now. The church was no longer persecuted. It was no longer uh, suffering. But now it's receiving a lot of um, benefits and uh, a lot of... Uh, 
you know, favors from the empire, right? And the empire, as you see there, was really huge. It encompassed not only Egypt, but all of back then the Middle East, Turkey, all of Europe, and most of North Africa. So it was a huge uh, empire. And now Christianity became um, basically the, the state religion um, soon after that. But that posed the new challenge, right? It posed the challenge of uh, favors giving, uh, given to the church. The church now was receiving money from the government. It wasn't being persecuted. There were a flood of insincere converts that went into the church because now it was cool to be Christian because, hey, the emperor was Christian. And so, it, you know, all the people who wanted favors in the government, uh, if they were Christian, they received, you know, advancement and, and so on. And so we saw these uh, kind of secularism start to creep into the church because of this era. And so you could see the Holy Spirit fight this uh, secularism going into the church by monasticism, because that's the same time monasticism began to grow. Um, so these were like the new type of martyrs, right? These were the type of people who uh, did not uh, or did reject the, the secularism of the world, and they wanted to live a courageously uh, courageous life in Christianity and to be serious about it and dedicate their whole being to focusing on Christ, just like the martyrs uh, who were there before. So when we talk about monasticism and its origins, you, of course, have to talk about St. Anthony the Great. Uh, St. Anthony was born in the year 251 in Egypt. Uh, his parents died when he was young, and many of you know this story, but we'll kind of uh, do this really quickly. When he was about 20 years old or less, he walked into the church just like we do, and he heard a commandment that if he wants to be perfect, just like Christ said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. So he heard these, this verse, just like we all hear the gospel readings in the church. He heard it, and he took it very personally, as if it was a message for him. So he gave all of his inheritance uh, to the poor, uh, except for a little that he saved for his sister. Uh, and then he went um, into the deserts, and he went to the elders, gaining spiritual insights from each one of them. So he was like a, uh, what's saying, um, Athanasius calls a uh, like a bee going from flower to flower, gaining the nectar out of each flower. He went from this elder and learned humility, and another one he learned humbleness and, and wisdom, and another one he learned strictness of his rules in his life. And he learned uh, patience from another one. And then he, after doing this uh, for the first 30 years, um, uh, for, uh, for the first multiple years, then he went and spent 30 years alone uh, in the desert. And after 30 years, many started to hear about him, and they started hearing about the miracles he did and about his wisdom that he had. And so they would come to him seeking spiritual uh, support and spiritual advice, and they started gathering around him and lived with him to gain uh, that spiritual fatherhood. So they kind of set up shop, and they lived uh, like around him. Um, where he was staying and they just set a camp like around him and they said, here's where I'm going to stay for the rest of my life around St. Anthony. So the first monastery, you can say organically grew and became, um, you know, a monastery just like that and became like a model. Um, you can read about this uh, from the life of St. Anthony written by St. Athanasius is one of the, I would say one of the top five writings of Christian history outside of the scriptures, of course, that you, you should read. Um, it's a really powerful writing uh, and it should be in your library. We'll talk about a few books that should be in your library, by the way, today.
that's one of them. So the life of St. Anthony, um, St. Athanasius during one of his many exiles, if you know about the epic story about St. Athanasius, uh, amazing story. Uh, he was exiled five times and one of his exiles, uh, he, during all of his exiles, he was always active and, ben and always benefiting something. And so one of his exiles in Rome, he uh, brought a little book that he wrote about the life of St. Anthony and he shared it with the people there. It quickly uh, uh, translated into Latin and uh, it was also the book uh, that you might read uh, that com helped convert St. Augustine. If you read St. Augustine's uh, Confessions, he writes about this, how he read the book and couldn't stop crying about his life and that helped him to convert. Monasticism spread dramatically throughout the world by the end of the fourth century. Um, you know, I, I was going to read you a section of his life, but you can read it on your own. It's really beneficial, and there's a lot of free versions out there online. If you type in the life of St. Anthony, you can find many versions uh, of his life out there. Um, another saint grew at the same time um, after learning from St. Anthony. He went and developed his own type of monasticism. Uh, so St. Anthony was in northern Egypt. St. Pachomius was in uh, southern Egypt. And he developed a type of a monasticism called the Canonia, which is in a Greek word for community. Uh, the monks lived under the guidance of an Abba, just like St. Anthony's model. But he the thing he added, St. Pachomius added, was a rule for how the monks deal with each other. So he recognized that these monks are interacting with each other, so it needed some sort of structure. Uh, he was known for his great wisdom, and much of his literature has survived till today, and we'll talk about some of the books as well, um, that uh, we have his life and his sayings as well to, to this day. Um, St. Basil, the patron of our church, of course, uh, was as well as St. Benedict, Benedict of the Catholic Church, they all drew from St. Pachomius in establishing their own monastery. So St. Basil's rule or St. Benedict's rule all draw from the model of St. Pachomius. This is a beautiful example as well, but again, I, I won't read it now, but you can go and you can read this. And also the PowerPoint will be available later uh, on the YouTube channel. So you can download uh, this and read it on your own. Wonderful writing here from uh, St. Pachomius. So to recap, kind of uh, St. Anthony had, you know, the Abba and then the monks would uh, go back and forth seeking spiritual advice and then go live on their own and come back. Where St. Pachomius added one more dimension to this, right? He added the, the interaction between the monks as well as going back and forth uh, with the Abba. So you can see that's the only real big difference there. Um, but in both cases, the role of the Abba, or spiritual father, was critical and vital. The Abba uh, was an experienced person. He had direct relationships with, uh, um, with, with God himself, and he uh, has a lot of experiences in the spiritual warfares. So he wasn't more um, like, a, uh, like a teacher or anything like that. He wasn't like that at all. The, the Abba was more of a father, like a, in every sense of the world, like, a, like, like your father would be, kind of just like that to kind of guide you through that. So oftentimes um, the famous uh, quote, if you've ever read the, the writings of the, the church uh, desert fathers uh, and read their sayings, it always starts off with one of the monks came to this Abba and said, Father, tell us a word, give us a word, share a word with us. It wasn't a, and the Abba wasn't 
like responding in some theological, uh, you know, deep theological lesson most of the time. Although he did touch, uh, oftentimes the, the Abbas did touch on theology, of course, but it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't like some scholarly or uh, even a, as a counselor, they weren't even like counselors, um, but they gave something that was life-giving, something that was beneficial for them, something that you, you can take with you and really uh, benefit from and, and add it to the quality of your personality. They were not teachers or scholars. They were like fathers um, in every sense of the world. Many also visited for a word, right? So not just the monks, but um, the, the, the fame of these people became so vast that it, people from all over the Roman Empire would come and visit these uh, desert fathers. And uh, the, the church fathers, uh, the, the desert fathers kind of lumped them into two categories. There were visitors from Jerusalem, those who were really sincere, those who were really um, desiring to benefit, uh, those who uh, were repentant and humble, those were uh, the visitors from Jerusalem, they called them, right? So they say, here's a visitor from Jerusalem, and they would let them stay, and they would let them, um, you know, have long discourses, sometimes throughout the whole night, they would just talk back and forth, and you can only wonder the amazing things that these people spoke about uh, from sunset to sunrise, just speaking about the glory of God and, and the things that he's done for us and, and the benefits. And others are, were just kind of curious or maybe wanted to debate or test them. These were called visitors from Babylon. So they were, the, the church fathers, uh, some of them said that they were given a bowl of soup and a little bit of hospitality and then sent on their way. But very little was gained from as far as like, get, Father, give us a word. There were other uh, influential monastics, St. Paul of Thebes, of course, we heard about him, which is the first uh, hermit. St. Basil the Great, uh, he's actually a, a big saint in the monastic world because uh, he, as we talked about, was influenced by St. Pachomius, but also founded monasteries in Cappadocia, which is now in modern-day Turkey. St. Jerome uh, translates the rule of St. Pachomius. Uh, St. Augustine and a few Christian friends founded a monastery after reading the life of St. Athanasius. St. John Cassian's a really big one too as well. He wrote a book called The, the Conferences. I have it right here. This uh, book right here, it's a pretty thick book. Uh, he writes uh, The Conferences, which is again, interviews with lots of the desert giants of, of his time. And uh, the book was um, uh, really popular and uh, in the Benedictine rule, they would read some of the portions of this book uh, during the meals. So during the meals, the monks would sit down and, uh, and the Benedictine monks, uh, and then they would read some of the Desert Fathers, uh, their sayings and their lives while they're eating. Uh, of course, St. Patrick, you know, St. Patrick's Day, uh, was born in the year 387, um, and he uh, also, uh, you know, started a monastery as well, so, and there's more as well. So monasteries spread across the whole world, you can see here, all throughout Europe, uh, it's credited with holding the Western civilization together when the uh, barbarians attacked from the north. Uh, it was the monasteries that held the education and the, um, the culture of the West uh, still intact. Um, you know, here's some beautiful monasteries from all over the world. Uh, you might recognize this one was in Star Wars, the movie. Uh, that's where Luke Skywalker was hiding, just so you know. Uh, and then you'll see lots of other beautiful, beautiful monasteries that exist all over the world. 
So what is it though, and how do we apply it during this time of quarantine? Um, monasticism is a way of life that helps us perfect the love of God and a relationship with Him. One aspect of this way is asceticism. So monastic life with the monks is an ascetic way of life. So the question is, can we apply this ascetic way of life, at least to some degree, in our lives today here in the world, um, and that maybe we can even practice during this quarantine. So St. Basil says something about what this is like, and we'll read this. I don't know if it's covering anyone's screen, so I'll just go ahead and read. The first requirement for those who wish to follow the ascetic life is that they must have simple possessions. Next, they must ensure that they find solitude and dress simply and keep their speech and tone of voice within the bounds of moderation listening to those who are wiser than they are, showing love to their equals, and giving advice to those who are below them in a spirit of love. They must avoid contact with the sort of people who like causing trouble, and instead think deeply and say little. Think deeply and say little. In their speech, they must avoid both arrogance and idle chatter. They must show obedience and never forget the true purpose of their life, but rejoice in hope, showing patience in difficult times. I mean, this is very applicable for us today. It's very beneficial for us. Also, asceticism entails a lot of the negatives as well. When you first uh, look at it from the outside, it's, it's not much sleep, it's not much food, uh, little company with others. Uh, we have to focus, of course, on ragged, you know, they dress very simply hard work, no leisure. At first glance, it's a lot of negatives. Uh, no to this and no to that. But someone looking from the outside, is all, that's all he sees. But those are the uh, monks who denied themselves these things in order to concentrate on who was present. So they wanted to put these things aside so that they can focus on the true purpose of their life. For example, they didn't eat much or they didn't talk much so that they can hear and concentrate on the word of God. They didn't sleep or give much rest to their bodies so that they can stay with God longer and give rest to their souls. That's why the Bible says, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? So they used each moment to turn their whole being towards God and towards uh, love um, and to kind of shed off all the other things that were um, hindering them from coming closer to God. And once you read about the spiritual fathers, you know, oftentimes we jump to the end of their life, but what's missing in these writings is the 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years of struggle that they went through trying to repent from their sins. And when they finally reach that state of repentance after much struggle, uh, they say with like what St. Augustine said, right? That I sat on top of the world that I the day I felt within me that I needed nothing nor feared anything. So oftentimes we have to remember that too, that we're reading these to kind of see a window of this amazing spiritual life. But we also have to understand, and this is especially what we tell our youth, that um, when you read this, understand that they struggled a lot to get there as well. So you have to be patient. Okay, so... Some lifestyle qualities that, that are shown in the lives of, of these saints, right? Um, silent contemplation, they're always fasting, abstinence, reading of scriptures, night vigils, constant prayer. I mean, the, the constant prayer part of it, I would say, is pretty huge in their writings. 
um, the, you might have heard of the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you say that repetitively with feeling and with heart, and you say it as many times as you can with, uh, with your heart. And um, that has its origin in the Desert Fathers. Uh, and then, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church, of course, really likes that. And so do we, the Oriental Orthodox Church, because it has these, um, the, the foundations in the Monastic Fathers. Weeping and mourning of sins, um, voluntary poverty, patient endurance, obedience to God and man, watchfulness of thought and word and deed, love and hospitality, humility, of course, and purity and hope. So all of these wonderful virtues you see, not just hear about theoretically, but you see them in the lives of the Desert Fathers and you, and you see them in actual practice and stories and in, and in their sayings. So... Their whole point then is to turn their life towards God, right? Um, they want to turn their whole being, their mind, their body, and their spirit towards God. The, the practices that they did were not the goals. They were not the goals. Uh, the goal uh, was to come towards God. The goal was not to withdraw from society. That was just the first step. Uh, the goal was to always focus their uh, thoughts and mind towards God and to eliminate as much as possible the um, the distractions that can hinder us from seeing God and having a relationship with him. They did so voluntarily. We may be doing it now kind of non-voluntarily, but nevertheless, it still poses that same opportunity for us. The kingdom exists where the king dwells, right? If that is the case, then Christ dwells inside of us. Then the kingdom of God is within us. As Christ says, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. To abide with God then is to abide in that inward life. We have to turn our attention inside of us and we start to discover ourselves and to discover God. In Psalm 51, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward part and in the hidden part, you'll make me to know wisdom. And in Psalm 23, it says, my son, give me your heart. So what does this mean, though, to dive in the inward life that monasticism or that living in seclusion offers that opportunity since we don't have the same distractions we used to have? It means, like we talked about last week, to know yourself. Few people ever really evaluate themselves. They're quick to evaluate others, of course, right? But where the most good is done is to evaluate yourselves and few take on that task because it's a little bit harder, and a little bit more uncomfortable. So it's important to find time to reflect and evaluate one's life. What is good? What's working in our lives? Um, once we identify, we thank God for it and we give glory to him. And um, we, we ask him not to take it from us, but, but we recognize that it comes from God, right? It, all, all the good things that we have in our life comes from him and has its origin in him. Everything good has its origin in him. From every virtue to every material thing, everything good, of course, comes from him. But sometimes we find things that are less pleasant, um, the, what we call the inner scorpions, right? Um, something wrong in our life, maybe uh, a weakness, some sin that's um, ruled over us, or some friendship that we uh, have in our life that is hurting us and that's maybe taking us away from God. Uh, we all have that, right? We all have those things. Um, we should humble ourselves before God and he will lift us up. Um, he will give us power and a cause for victory, of course. Uh, humility and self-denial must be the rule that governs our relationship with God. 
So to live in that kingdom of God, we must not allow anyone else to sit on the throne that's inside of us, the throne that only belongs to Christ. Uh, we cannot even sit on that throne. As some people sit on it, some um, egocentric or narcissistic people uh, who allow themselves to sit on that throne that really only belongs to Christ. Um, we should say with St. John the Baptist, I must decrease that he may increase. Pope Shenouda had a nice contemplation um, about this. He says, sometimes, my Lord, when I sit with myself and examine it more profoundly, I find in the corners serpents and scorpions lying and resting within me. When I look at these serpents and scorpions, they wake up and bite or sting my conscience. So I leave them asleep so that they may not make me suffer. But what is the use of leaving them so and closing my eyes in order not to see them and feel at rest. In fact, I deceive myself and escape from it. Because sometimes when we look in the mirror, we see things that are not pleasant. That spiritual mirror, right? That when we look inside of us, we see things that are not that pleasant sometimes. And we have to, with courage, not... And, and when we look at our conscience, does kind of bite us, right? We can't let that stop us. We have to be courageous and face that with, of course, God's help. Um, in reflecting inwardly where the kingdom of God is, we may discover things that make us feel really, really uncomfortable, but we can't let that stop us. Um, we have to deal with the truth and deal with our conscience that accuses us. But any growth, of course, uh, even in the secular world, any kind of growth, um, whether it be in your spiritual world, but also in your secular world, in your career, uh, it requires taking on something new, something you're not comfortable with right? Any growth comes with discomfort. That's a natural quality of growth is discomfort. But it's the tr it, to know yourself is really the truth of the matter. Once we evaluate ourselves, we realize the truth that if we stand, we stand by his mercy. And if we fall, we know that God is able to help us, right? Repentance starts with these inward reflections, these self-evaluations. And when we win these battles one by one inside of us, we easily win the battles on the outside. And being alone, being in seclusion helps us in these inner victories. That's what the monastics learned, and that's what we have the potential of learning and taking advantage of as well. When we're alone, we're not alone because the Father is with us. As Christ said, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And if Christ is inside of us, then the Father is with us as well. We are alone with the alone because there's no, no one like him. So he is alone in the universe and we're alone with him. So to realize that treasure inside of us, which is the kingdom of God where he dwells, which is um, you know, the greatest thing we can ever discover, um, which he's part of us. God has placed that secret place inside each and every human being when he created us. That's the place where he encounters us. That's the place where he meets us and talks with us and we talk with him through prayer and uh, we discover him and we discover a lot about ourselves as well. That, that place is only um, in, inside of you and every one of us and God speaks to you as if you're the only one in the whole universe. So we should discover that place, that's place inside of us. Not only turning towards God, but also turning towards each other. We, we learn through the writings of the Desert Fathers um, whether it be the formal rules and regulations of St. Pachomius that govern how the monks dealt with each other. For example, when, when the monks are eating, they're not allowed to look at each other 
or look at what uh, somebody else is uh, eating. Uh, the elder monk would sit in the back and the more beginner monks would sit in the fore, in the front. And so you saw a very structured way of life. But not only that, right? It was also a matter of how to give love with what, how to show love with, to one another. We saw the example of the grapes that we read today as well. So that, that was like the focus, right? Is to not only our love towards God, but if we truly love God, we will love each other as well. And we have that opportunity today. Um, family, right? Our, our family first and foremost. Now we're spending unprecedented time with each other, which is wonderful, um, but it poses challenges as well, right? And so we need to let it, we need to manage that time we have together rather than having the time manage us. We need to manage it by having a structured way of life. Um, you know, I'm sure the kids still have online homework, but at the same time, you can now dedicate time together to play board games together, to read together, maybe read the Bible together, uh, to talk together, um, and we're, and to cook together. We're spending now good quality time with each other. It's also a time now to remember those in need. Um, th there are t some tough times coming is what the experts are telling us and God protect us all. But there will be tough times from a health standpoint, but also tough times from a um, financial standpoint. Uh, many uh, people will likely lose their jobs because of this quarantine and we need to be there for each other. Um, you know, the church still has bills to pay. You know, we, we still need to be there for one another. We have a lot of people coming to the church that need assistance. Um, and we have a lot of elderly people. I'm always uh, touched by a lot of texts that I get, uh, people offering to help uh, the, the elderly to go shopping for them and to go pick up things from the store and drop it off. Um, you know, I think that's a service now that I've gotten enough requests that we may put a, a team together. And if you need anything at all, let me know or let the servants know and we'll, we'll get it for you because there's a good number of people in our blessed church that have uh, that, that desire inside of them to go and help and uh, to provide things that are needed. Uh, I know somebody who's making uh, masks uh, from old clothes, you know, they'll, they'll rip them apart and, and put, a, put a band on it. And now they, they've made these masks that they're giving away and donating for those in need. So it's, there's going to be a huge need for, for help. And I think greater than any miracles of healing during this time is the love that Christians show during this time that will speak loudly when this is all said and done. Uh, it's really the time for Christians to show that love towards everyone else. Involved also in the dealings with each other is to always have spiritual guidance. Um, everyone has spiritual guidance from the Pope himself, who has a spiritual con uh, a f a confessing father, um, or, you know, from every one of us to the little children as well. We all need spiritual guidance from, from those who are more experienced than us but also from the writings of the church fathers, which is a great source of spiritual guidance as well. So this is something that is always essential. Like we learned um, by the monks and those uh, genuinely visit to benefit from the monks, they would say, Father, tell us a word. And that's how we should approach uh, those more uh, experienced than us, those who have greater uh, you know, um, spiritual uh, advancement. You go to them with that same spirit and say, you know, tell me something beneficial in the spiritual world. They may be taken back by that, but I'm sure they'll be glad to share as well. And, you know, the writings of the church fathers is an immense source of spiritual benefit. I can't tell you 
um, enough that those who have read like the church fathers never walk away the same person. They always benefit uh, more and more. If you need help with uh, some guidance on some initial uh, church father readings, let me know and I can point you in the right direction. So today we have, um, you know, a lot of, you know, when I say today, I mean, in the, here we are in 2020, we have lots of writings in English, thankfully. Uh, we're living in a, a language, uh, in a country where the language is English, so we have a lot of translated material on the Desert Fathers, their sayings, their lives. Um, the most famous is, of course, the sayings of the Desert Fathers, and uh, the most uh, famous about their lives is the Paradise of the Fathers, who also, they also have some of their sayings as well. These books should be in every Christian library, and uh, you know, if if you don't have it, let me know, and we can help you get some of those, because they're full of nuggets of little sto stories or sayings that were like, wow, this really hits home with us. Uh, here's a couple that you know we can find, um, like uh, for example, Saint Moses used to say, "The monk must die to his neighbor and never judge him at all in any way whatsoever." We learn that we shouldn't judge anyone. Um, of Arsenius said, be solitary, be silent, and be at peace. For no one is more my enemy than my own heart, which is truly the one of my household closest to me. That's Abba Pimens said that. And Abba Isidore said, it is the wisdom of the saints to recognize the will of God. Indeed, in obeying the truth, man surpasses everything else, for he is the image and likeness of God. And St. Anthony said, which you can totally relate to today in today's time, a time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him saying, you are mad. You are not like us. And surely we see that today. So some of these writings, uh, before we open it up for discussion, you might want to take a screenshot of this or, um, or maybe download the PowerPoint later. Uh, but The Paradise of the Fathers is probably by William Budge or Wallace Budge, a uh, British author who translated these. Uh, probably the best uh, source out there. Um, there's, a newer, there's an old version when he first translated it. It's kind of old English. And then they recently did uh, one in, in modern English. So it's a lot easier to read. We have the lives of, uh, and the sayings of St. Pachomius. So this is his life his rules that I talked to you about, and some of his letters as well in the three-volume book. We also can't forget the Desert Mothers as well. I mean, there were a lot of amazing examples uh, for us for the, in the desert um, with regard to the mothers of our church that also gave us uh, immense uh, inspiration in their life and in their sayings. Um, Benedicta Ward was also an amazing translator. She translated a couple books. Uh, St. Daniel of Skeets, and also St. Shenouda by St. Wisa. We have that uh, today as well. Um, St. Paphnotius is another giant we didn't really touch on today because of lack of time, but uh, we have his life as well and his sayings. And of course, the, the one that kicked it all off, of course, was the life of St. Anthony by St. Athanasius. That's the one that definitely has to be part of your library. So with that, we'll open it up to any questions or discussion, if you have any. None today? Great. I like I like it when there's no questions. That's just makes my job easier. So 
Yeah, hi Abuna. Hi George. Yeah, um, the question is, uh, I'm really glad, glad to hear the sermon and I hope this will be available on YouTube uh, if you have the link. But I have the question, my question is, um, how we can apply all this good talk and uh, spiritual food, how we can apply it to our daily life uh, in the world, not in the monastic life? not in the monastery, I mean, not in the building, not in the desert. How can be, I like what you said, this is a good time, uh, the, the monks, they did it by choice, but right now we have, we've been forced to do it, and I'm glad you're looking at it this way. So I'm looking for your advice uh, to guide us how to apply that in our life when we come back to normal life from at this time and in the future when this over, how we can live this and we can deal with ourselves and overcome ourselves to put God first in every aspect of our life and to love him the most and apply that in our daily life. Sure, I, I would say two points. The, the first one is to seek guidance. So uh, your father confessor, your spiritual guide, can give you those guidelines and uh, it's going to be different for every person, right? And uh, to what level they apply some of the things uh, that we're talking about today. And so it's not difficult to do, uh, which is the second point, if you, especially if you start small. So starting small is key because starting small makes it easier to be consistent. Everything that we do in the spiritual rules has to be consistent. And when we start small, uh, like in the in the dedicate, they say to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Are we doing that? Are we doing at least that foundation? Are we praying in the morning, before lunch, and uh, maybe before we sleep? Are we teaching our kids to say it on their own? And a good test for our kids is do they say it on their own? Do they say it before they sleep and in the morning and maybe once during the day? Um, and then maybe from there grow more. Maybe you will read one hour of the of the Igbeya and read one chapter of the um, uh, in, in the scriptures. And so scriptures is important, right? And so whatever it takes to be consistent, no matter how small, as long as it's consistent, you can grow from there. And growth will be natural. It won't be something that is tedious for you. But you'll just naturally grow once you become. Uh, you know, once these other good things become habit. Good question. Because that is the million dollar question, right? How do we apply these things in our life? Start small and seek guidance is what I would say. If anybody wants to add to that, of course. Abuna, it's Dan. Hi, Dan. Can you comment on, and maybe because I was I'm multitasking, I missed it. Maybe you already commented on it or mentioned it. You comment on the role that physical labor played in in the monastic uh, world in, in terms of helping monks to achieve virtues or long periods of fasting or things like that. Is is that I've often thought to myself that that is how a lot of virtue was achieved was was by hard work. Is that even remotely true? It is true to a degree, as long as the hard work does not become the goal, as long as the goal is always kept in front of us that, you know, these ascetic labors, um, whether it's forcing ourselves to fast, 
forcing ourselves to stay up at night and to wake up early for vigils or to an early liturgy, um, forcing ourselves to read the scriptures. These are all spiritual labors, right? Um, but there were also secular labors too. Um, we know the story of St. Anthony who uh, saw, um, he was struggling, right? He was struggling with uh, him being all alone and he was becoming really restless, right? And really bored and, and he struggled with it. So he looked outside the window and he saw uh, a person, later on we know it was an angel, but he was working, working with his hands. I think he was weaving uh, a basket or something. And then he would stand up and pray. And then he would go back to working and stand up and pray. And so, um, you know, it follows the, the famous saying that a, an idle mind is a playground for the devil. Uh, you know, the, it was staying busy, staying focused, and these, uh, uh, using these spiritual labors do increase. But it can hurt us when we make it the goal. And they are not the goal. They're a means to the goal. The goal, of course, is to turn our life towards God. And sometimes, because of our previous habits, that, that does take labor to kind of steer the boat in a different direction. It's not sometimes easy when we're going in the opposite direction. And so to steer it in the proper direction, it takes kind of forcing ourselves at the beginning a little bit to do, again, even small things like reading a Bible you know, verse every day or a chapter a day uh, or reading a couple Psalms or reading the Lord's Prayer or praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, so those, those are called spiritual labors, right? And then, but we read in some of these church fathers, because they're so advanced, they do amazing labors, right? Like we read about some of the saints who would pray towards the sunset and then the back of their head would burn because of the sunrise. So they would pray all night or the, you know, St. Peshoy who uh, tied his beard to a rope so that when he would nod off, he would wake back up again and start praying. Uh, these are extreme levels of uh, asceticism that don't start at that level. <laughs> if you can start at one chapter a day of the Bible, that'd be excellent. So hopefully that answered your question. Thank you. All right. Any other questions or anything to add? All right. God bless you all. Uh, we will be issuing uh, an update on Holy Week and some of the services, online services, so that we can attend and celebrate the Holy Week um, prayers and um, and all the other practices that we do in the Holy Week uh, and in the comfort of our own home. But we can all follow along um, and practice it in our homes with our families. So be on the lookout for a separate email on that. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. The love of God the Father, grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Depart in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you.